0: Welcome to Booz Allen Hamilton's Unstoppable Together podcast, a series of stories that unite us and empower each of us to change the world. I'm Jenny Brooks with Booz Allen Hamilton, and I'm passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please join me in conversation with a diverse group of thought leaders to explore what makes them and all of us unstoppable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstoppable Together podcast. I'm Jenny Brooks, and I'm excited today to speak with the CEO of Specialist Sterna North America, Alan Chris. Alan, welcome to the podcast.
1: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I look forward to our conversation. Can we start by your sharing with us a little bit about Specialist Sterna?
1: So I first got involved with Specialist Sterna. A colleague or a friend actually approached me because he had heard this fellow named Torkel Sunny. Speaking on the radio, talking about this business that he'd started in 2004. It was a business that employed people with autism and put them to work doing consulting projects for other businesses, mostly IT consulting and that sort of thing. And so this fellow asked me, because at the time I was doing consulting, helping people with startups. So he asked me if I'd help him to get this thing off the ground. And I said, sure, that sounds really interesting. And so we we went out for a sushi lunch. And we were supposed to give them, you know, the idea as a kid with a consultant is you give a person an hour and then you see if it turns into something interesting. And mm-hmm. really, it was dinner time by the time we left the restaurant because we were still talking about it. And it was such an interesting topic for me. And what made it so interesting was that I came from a business background and as a business person, I saw a couple of really key things. One, found a way to tap into a talent pool of people who were not well engaged in the employment market. It was a profitable organization there was real value in that talent pool and it also had solved some problems that i'd always seen in my career so far which were related to inefficiencies or inadequacies really in the way hr functions and works particularly in the way that it values and, and assesses and values people and so this was an organization that seemed to be finding its way around this for an outlier group of people and it just seemed so fascinating that you could make a business out of doing something like that specialist it does this work globally so we're We're in dozens of countries around the world, uh, and we help employers to find talented people and to help to bring those people in in a successful way, leverage them and their talents and build careers. Our goal is to help to employ a million people around the world. And for us, that's kind of like a North Star. And what that really means to us is that we want to change the way the employment market uh, values this talent pool and help to lead to engaging a broader diversity of people into the workforce.
0: Okay, How many people across the globe have autism? When you say when you said it was like an untapped part of the talent pool, how many yeah, people sure. are we talking about?
1: Well, uh, it depends on the statistics that you actually follow and, and how well you you can sort of confidently extrapolate. I guess the most recent statistics from the CDC in the. US, are that one in 44 year olds are being diagnosed with autism. The numbers have over the years changed and grown. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. So we're talking about autism specifically now, specialist journal focuses on autism and other neurodivergence. So okay. we can talk about that as well. But we're talking about hundreds of millions of people globally in the US. The, the estimates are that about 50,000 people with autism specifically graduate from college on an annual basis. The other important statistic in autism specifically is that about 80 to 85% of those people are unemployed or underemployed. So the way you can think about that is that people are either not working or they're not working to the potential of their both ambition as well as their capabilities. Wow. It's a huge undertapped talent pool. And if you're a business person and you're in global fight for talent, that's a good thing.
0: hmm And you used the term North Star for your goal of 1 million. Where are you at on your way towards that goal today?
1: I guess you'd say that we're in the early phases. We're looking for a transformational change. And I think that we're seeing that happening in a few different ways. There's sort of a maturity that the market is going to take. When we first started doing this in 2004 and right through the first 10 years of that sort of thing, there was just a small recognition of the idea that you could build a business off of working with autistic individuals particularly. And there really wasn't a lot of talk about the concept of neurodiversity and all the other people who face similar employment barriers to people with autism. As we've gone along, it's become clear that most businesses that we work with really do recognize that there's value in that talent pool and are interested in accessing that talent pool, but they don't know how. I think the next phase is that businesses will start getting better at finding that talent pool and we'll start to make processes more inclusive in a way that will move towards really inclusive and systemic change rather than special processes to hire special groups of people.
0: Okay. I'm fascinated by that. You're talking about processes and finding people in the talent pool and Making the match and making the connections. Sure. Let's sure. step back for a second. You used the term neurodiversity, neurodivergent, I think you said earlier. Can you share with us exactly what that means?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, there are a lot of different types of diversity. You think about gender diversity and racial diversity or cultural diversity. You, you, there's so many different types of diversity, and diversity is a big topic nowadays. Some people think about diverse abilities. Oftentimes, disability gets overlooked in that conversation as a talent pool, for example. There is this concept of neurodiversity. And the concept of neurodiversity is that that the human condition is sort of characterized by people being differently wired from a, a neurodevelopmental perspective or from a neurological perspective. There's a sort of a neurotypical type, and then there are people who diverge from typical. Our society is sort of based around the way that the typical has developed and interacts. But there are outliers and the outliers are what we call or what this movement calls neurodivergent. So neurodivergent individuals, there's so many different ways we've categorized and diagnosed people with things that we call conditions such as autism, ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia. People have episodic conditions sometimes. So sometimes those fall into mental health. I think from a practical perspective, so there are these, these ideas of neurodiversity and then there's neurotypical and neurodivergent. And I think it's important to help to, people to understand what those words mean and that sort of thing. But in the end, from a, an employment perspective, it doesn't really matter. Right. That What we need are systems or, or processes that, that capture all people and bring them in and leverage their capabilities and strengths so that we can all work together.
0: So can you just walk us through a little bit of sort of like Some of the key things for us to think about as you view that transformation, you know, the 30,000 foot view, this transformation from candidate to employer.
1: Uh, You said a few different things there. You asked about the candidate's perspective, and there's also the employer's perspective. I think from the 30,000 foot view, the way I would approach that question is is to say that there's a lot of bias in the systems that we use in talent management. And a lot of is systemic bias. And what we found is that we work with, as I said earlier, I use the word outliers. We work with outliers and oftentimes outliers break systems. And when you fix the systems to manage and support the outliers, what you get are better systems that help and work better for everybody. And so what's really interesting in working with this talent pool is that we're constantly finding ways to break HR and make it work better. And so if we bring it down a level, so the most obvious example, or or one of the best examples of universal design concept is that people who use wheelchairs get built environments, they, they need built environments that allow them to access spaces better. And so we started building, when I was young, you know, we built ramps for wheelchairs and so people could get into a building but of course they couldn't access the the, the washrooms now we build things flat so everybody's better off though so people who use strollers parks and, and shopping things are better off people just don't have to worry about steps anymore in hr it's the same thing and the bias that's in hr can be removed and we can have better ways of finding and assessing and selecting people that will lead to better employment outcomes so A more diverse population can come in and employers can find better matches for talent. And we've seen the outcomes from the type of work that we do that lead to those lead to better productivity, lower turnover, more motivation, more innovation and all those sorts of things.
0: Your organization comes in and partners with the employer.
1: Correct. So I'll give you a concrete example. So the barrier or the step in this case, in comparison to what we were saying before about physical Barriers for people. The step oftentimes is a resume Mm. and the reliance on the resume. So, different people take different paths, and oftentimes, resumes for people who've taken an alternative path towards wherever they're getting to, the resume doesn't look so good. And so, a system might filter it out, never even get a chance to look at it, or a person might filter it out. If you get past the resume process, then you get into an interview. Now, there's been research since the 50s and 60s that says that neither A resume nor an interview is an optimal method for selecting, well, for predicting outcomes in job success. Wow. There are much better tools that are out there, and yet we still rely on these types of systems. So, what we set out to do is to find a better way to assess and select talent so that we could actually get to the real core issue, which is does this person have the talents and the capabilities and the motivation to do well in the job? And if so, then they're a good match. Not are they? What do they do well in a performative situation where they talk about what they can do. Instead, mm-hmm. we create environments where people can comfortably show what they can do and prove that they have the capability to do that. In our case, usually we're doing that just for neurodivergent individuals, but it works for all individuals, right? And most people, when you ask them, do you think an interview is a good way to assess for talent? Most people will say no and you ask most managers if they think that an interview is a really good way to assess somebody for talent and they'll say well no not really
0: <laughs> wow and then when a candidate is hired are there additional barriers for uh-huh. you know their continued growth and development re- realizing their potential like i keep going back to what you said earlier about being underemployed are there other barriers that you work with employers
1: Absolutely. There are a few. So one example is uh, how people are onboarded. Oftentimes when you start a new job, there's little, if any, structure whatsoever. And what we've found is that the candidates that we work with do really well with structure. Turns out that everybody does well with structure. So when you show up to your new job, if your manager's not there, nobody's expecting you to show up. You're not really sure what you're supposed to do, what your goals are. You're not sure where you're supposed to sit. All of these things can be uncomfortable and can lead to what we call tethered starts. Many employees start their jobs this way, but they don't need to. And what we find is that if we help hiring managers or team leads to put a plan in place for a person to onboard in an effective way, that plan can become useful for all following employees to onboard as well. And then it leads to fewer tethered starts for everybody. Whereas, You really tend in most jobs not to be trying to weed out people who don't do well on their own all the time. Many jobs are ones where once a person gets comfortable, they can be really successful. So we don't want to weed them out before they get comfortable. But oftentimes without structure, they don't get that far. Other examples would be managers just learning to become better managers. The practice of management is something that we kind of left behind in a lot of places we often promote people who are good at doing a job into a position of managing other people to do that job. The practice of management is meeting each individual where they are, leveraging the strengths that they have, managing that amongst the group of strengths that you have, and trying to lead to the best outcome for the group of people that you have by le- by lifting everybody up based on their strengths rather than leaning on people's weaknesses. If you lean on weaknesses, things break. If you lean on strengths, things get stronger. So those are some examples. So we, when a person starts... We will provide some support to help both the manager and the individual who's starting to develop a strong communication and working relationship and to build trust between the two rather than thinking about the new person as needing help to get into the job. We think of them both as needing help to learn to work well with one another and to build upon that relationship going forward.
0: Okay, I can see how a sushi lunch turned into a sushi dinner and how you got to where you are now because it's fascinating. I love if you lean into weakness, things break. If you lean into strengths, things grow stronger. Right. We really believe in the power of sharing stories as a means to connect with one another. But I still find that people sometimes shy away from sharing that they may have an invisible disability So what words of advice or what thoughts do you have for individual employees who might be working across a project team alongside alongside neurodivergent employees, how do they approach the work or the conversation?
1: So, yeah, that's a really good question. And and what you're touching on is the concept, partially a concept of disclosure and and some other topics we can get to as well. So the first point to keep in mind is that it's really up to an individual to decide what they want to say about themselves. And how comfortable they are saying it, and to whom they're going to say it. Um, in our program, that's made clear, and so it's it's never up to the business or the manager to say that you know so and so employee is nerd And so you you probably do and are working with some neurodivergent colleagues right now, and they may or may not feel comfortable. And I think comfort is the number one word that I would use, which is when a person is comfortable in the environment they're in, they're more likely to share things about themselves that will help others to know how to be productive in working with them. Some people call that safe spaces, which is something that you might've heard of or talked about as well. Yes. We provide education and awareness sessions, as well as we have an e-learning platform that helps with this as well, that helps employees to better understand diversity and to better empathize with those around them who may be experiencing the workplace or social or physical environments differently. And so what we're trying to do is to create empathy amongst people so that people understand the perspective of the other can lead to really outcomes, even if people aren't sharing particular things about themselves. What we're trying to do, and I can give you some examples, if you like, of the type of empathetic understanding that we're we're helping people to, to gain. But really what we're trying to do is to help people to understand that their colleagues are there for a reason. They're there Mm-hmm. to help to build or solve or, or design or or finish or whatever else it is. And that we need to find each other's strengths and focus on those strengths. And again, lean on those strengths so that we can, uh, we can be productive together.
0: Alan, at the end of every podcast, we leave our guests some free space to share their final words with those listening. What would you like people to leave us with today?
1: I think that the thing that I would leave people with is that It's important to give people an opportunity to show themselves. We're far too quick to judge. And what I learned and what I learn over and over and over again is that the person who I meet on day one and the person who I'm assessing in whatever assessment that I'm doing is not really going to be the person who I'm going to end up working with. And I think we can say that for most people and we can say it more so for neurodivergent individuals. So give people a chance to show you what their capabilities are and focus on people's strengths, leverage their strengths, and you'll get much better productivity and much better outcomes and much better relationships. So that's what I would say.
0: Thank you, Alan. We, we're so grateful for the work you're doing and the partnership that we have with you. And we look forward to celebrating with you when you meet that North Star.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for working with us.
0: Thanks for listening. Visit careers.boozeallen.com to learn how you can be unstoppable with Booz Allen. Be the future. Work with us. The world can't wait.